Chapter 9, Managing the Money. Hey there, I'm Eric Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. Join us on our journey to building a $100 million company. Hey, what's happening? This is Eric J. Olson. In January of 2021, I published a book named Million Dollar Journey. I have the audio for that. It's on audible.com, but I'm going to share it with you right here on this podcast. So this is a chapter from the book. Some of these episodes are going to be long. Some will be short, but I'm going to read the whole thing to you one chapter at a time. Here you go. After hearing it, let me know what you think on Instagram. I hang out there at eric.j.olson. That's E-R-I-K dot J dot Olson. And without further ado, here's a chapter from Million Dollar Journey. One of your most significant responsibilities as a founder is to ensure that you get your finances straight. Overspend and run out of money and you're done. Sure, some companies borrow from venture capitalists and overspend like it's going out of style. For everyone else who is building something from the ground up and doesn't want to chase a pipe dream and answer to a board of directors, just remember, don't run out of money. Raising capital. Many potential entrepreneurs cite a lack of funds as the reason they haven't started their own business. They believe they have to raise money, yet they have no clue how to go about finding funding. Worse, they don't even know why they think they need funding. I'm just not a fan of raising funds. When I ask these entrepreneurs if it's possible to fund their business from their operational profits, they either agree it's possible or come up with an excuse. I've launched more businesses than I care to admit, and I have never borrowed money. It's not because I inherited a trust fund or because I'm rich. Instead, I've invested the minimum amount of my own money needed to start the company. Then I validated the idea by having someone buy what I was selling. With my first few businesses, I made the mistake of waiting too long to validate my idea. I built everything to perfection. All right, a confession here. I wanted perfection, but rarely achieved it. That took way too much time and money. Once built, then I tried to sell it. But after learning the hard way by wasting time and money, I realized that the sooner you validate your idea, the better. As quickly and inexpensively as possible, build an offering with minimal core functionality, without all the bells and whistles, and then try to get someone to buy it. This approach is referred to as the minimal viable product, also referred to as an MVP. If you have success in selling the first version of your offering, then invest a bit more time and money into a better version, then sell that version to another customer. Continue to ratchet your way towards a better, more legitimate offering one step at a time, selling all along the way. This approach works extremely well with a service offering that doesn't require a significant capital investment. Since you don't have to buy much, if anything, before you start offering your service, you can generally get into business quickly. No external funding is required. Well, Eric, I need a truck and tools. I need funding. Don't you love that voice, by the way? Do you, though? 
Do you really need to start with a brand new $50,000 truck and a whole assortment of brand new top end tools? Or could you start with your current vehicle and the tools you already own? Do that, start simply, make money, and reinvest that money back into better tools. Continue to sell and service and continue to reinvest in your business. Eventually, you'll have the down payment on that new truck and will be making enough to cover payments. Little by little, see how that works? You don't have to start with everything perfect on day one. I've never raised money, so I don't know what it's like. But I'm aware that it's a huge distraction away from running your business. Instead of focusing on your offering, your customers, and your delivery, entrepreneurs focus on chasing funding from angels and venture capitalists. They focus on their pitch decks and traveling around to pitch to potential investors. The process of pitching is completely different than running your business. It will be stressful, a time sink, and that'll be your priority instead of building your business. If that weren't bad enough, if you're successful in raising capital, then you've just worked your way into a job. Congratulations, you now have a boss. The investors who gave you money will likely have a significant equity stake in the company and thus a significant say and influence in how you do your own thing. But worse, they'll have high demands of you. They'll make demands that they believe will help you pay them back. They will give you direction as to how to run the company, who to hire, who to fire, what markets to enter into and exit from, and on what timelines. They'll be all over you if they don't agree with your approach. Shoot, they could even fire you from the company you started. Is that what you want? I doubt it. It may work out amazingly for others, but that's not the life I want, and I doubt you want that either. Now, don't get me wrong. If I could be the founder of the next Facebook, then yeah, it'd be worth it. But my business ideas aren't exactly shattering the paradigm of how we interact as a species. I get that some big, high-risk businesses necessitate raising funds. My business ideas are much more practical and less capital intensive, and I don't want to give away equity and control to grow the business even faster than it's growing on its own. My advice on raising capital, skip it and focus on your business, not on borrowing money. Taxes. I'm sure you've heard Benjamin Franklin's popular saying, there are only two things certain in life, death and taxes. Like it or not, you will pay taxes once you start your own company. Paying taxes on the money you earn is not a new concept. You pay taxes at your day job too, but your employer made it easy by taking your taxes out of your paycheck before you got the rest. They take care of that messiness for you. Not so as an entrepreneur. You will be subject to taxation in many different ways. Some taxes you can't do anything about such as your business license. It's actually a tax, but it's rarely referred to as a tax. It certainly sounds better to call it a license than a straight up tax, which it is. A business license tax is calculated from the gross revenue of your company. There's nothing you can do to change the amount you'll get taxed besides lying about your revenue. By the way, don't do that. If you get audited and get caught, you'll face big fines and maybe even criminal charges. 
you're just going to have to suck it up, tell the government your revenue, and pay the tax bill. Other taxes will be calculated on your profit. As a business, you are not taxed by the state or federal government on revenue. You are taxed on profits. As a simplistic example, if your annual revenue is $100,000 and your expenses are $80,000, then you'll be taxed on the $20,000 in profit. The higher your profit, the more taxes you'll pay. Conversely, if your profit is low, then you'll pay a low amount of taxes. That can actually be a good thing. How is making less profit a good thing? Let's say that you made a profit of $10,000 subject to tax at, say, 30%. That means you'll pay $3,000 to the state and feds and keep $7,000. With that $7,000, you can pay yourself, put it in the bank, reinvest in your business, or some combination of the three. Instead of recognizing a $10,000 profit, let's say that you instead increase your expenses and put some of that $10,000 in profit back to work in your business immediately. You would do this by buying something you need, such as a piece of equipment or a laptop, or by hiring someone. You could even use the full $10,000 in your business to grow your business. In this scenario, you had $10,000 to put towards the advancement of your business. In the first scenario, you had only $7,000 to do the same. Some entrepreneurs aim to operate at a low profit or no profit at all. They'll avoid paying substantial taxes and they'll have additional funds to put into their business. By having little left over in the way of profits, you pay less in taxes and have more to put back into your company to grow it. It's a strategy for growth, but also comes at the expense of not accumulating cash, which you may need for cash flow crunches or to weather a recession. If you leverage this strategy, be sure to spend your profits on expenses that will move you forward. Don't spend wastefully. Only buy what you need or think you'll need to advance your business. As an entrepreneur, your pay is largely tied to the company profits. And often these profits are hard to predict. Since you no longer have an employer that withholds taxes from your pay, you're going to have to do it yourself. On a quarterly basis, the state and federal government want you to file quarterly estimated taxes. So once a quarter, every three months, you should look back at the profit you earned for the previous quarter and calculate the taxes you owe as a result. The tax forms have formulas on how to calculate the taxes you owe. You can do it yourself, but honestly, it's a royal pain. I swore off doing my own taxes many years ago. I simply don't want to invest my limited brain power into understanding the archaic tax code. And I don't want the financial liability of miscalculating my tax bill. I have a CPA for that. I encourage you to do the same because I can't tell you how to calculate your tax bill. If you want to do that on your own, Godspeed to you. Instead, I encourage you to put that energy into your business and let your CPAs do what they do best. Although I defer the actual tax calculation to my CPA, I don't defer how much to set aside for the bill. I know I have to pay taxes and I know roughly how much money I need based on my revenue and profit. 
I don't want to be surprised by a tax bill or worse, not have the money set aside when it's due. So I put money aside on a regular basis and I recommend you do the same in your business. Business bank accounts. When I opened my freelancing business, I also opened a business checking account at the same bank that I use for my personal banking. With that, I had a second login and the bank treated me as two separate entities, Eric, the individual, and Eric, the person who ran a business. Two separate entities, two logins, two separate bank accounts. When I made money from the business, it first went into the business account. Later, when I was ready to pay myself, which felt great, by the way, I would transfer money from the business account to my personal account. Since I used the same bank for my personal and business banking, it was an easy and instantaneous transfer. Money regularly flowed from my business to my personal accounts, but didn't flow from my personal to the business accounts. There are only a few times that money should flow from your personal bank account to your business account. When you first open your business account, you'll likely want to put personal money in there. That simply jumpstarts the cash flow your business needs to get going. Later, if your business is ever short on cash, then you may need to again move some funds from your personal account into your business account. It's not ideal, and hopefully these exceptions will be rare. If it happens more than occasionally, you should consider it as your business screaming at you that something is wrong. Your business should be making you money, not costing you money. I had to fund my company on a few occasions in the past, but it didn't happen often. This happened early in my freelancing career when I wasn't exactly overwhelmed with client work and flush with cash. It worked out in the end, but it was stressful at the time. Do yourself a favor when you start making money. Separate your business money from your personal money by opening a business banking account. Eventually, you can open multiple accounts at multiple banks, like I did. But first things first, separate your cash between business and personal. Profit first. I read an amazing book about business finances named Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. He lays out a system that allows you to easily set aside money for profits, taxes, salary, and other known expenses. We've been following the process religiously since I read the book a few years ago. It's worked so well that I feel compelled to explain it here. It's so important to running a successful business that not including it would be a disservice to you. But this is just an overview. Buy his book, read it cover to cover, and then implement it. You can thank me later. In the previous section on paying yourself, I shared the common formula, revenue minus expenses equal profit. The profit first philosophy reorganizes the formula to revenue minus profit equals expenses. Here's the big idea in a nutshell. Pay yourself first. You've heard that saying when it comes to personal savings, but most entrepreneurs don't apply it to their business finances for some reason. The book rationalizes creating a system so that you pay yourself a percentage of revenue for salary, taxes, and profit. And then your business expenses need to fit into whatever money is left over. Profits first then expenses. 
The system prescribed in the book includes depositing new revenue into a checking account dedicated just for this purpose. We'll call that account income. As you get paid, you deposit the funds into income and simply let it build up. Twice a month, you'll transfer funds from the income account to other bank accounts that serve specific purposes, such as employee taxes, owner taxes, profit, and OPEX, which stands for operating expenses. The amount you put into each is based on a predefined percentage of your annual revenue, which he helps you establish. Let's say that you accumulate $10,000 in the income account after two weeks. When it's time to disperse funds to your other accounts, all $10,000 will be sent to the other accounts. If you're putting aside, say, 10% for owner taxes, then $1,000 goes to the owner taxes bank account, and the rest goes to the other bank accounts based on your percentages. So $1,000 is now in your owner taxes bank account, just sitting there waiting to be paid to the government one day. It's best to no longer consider that your money. It's the government's money. Don't mess with it. Don't be tempted to borrow from it. When it's time to pay quarterly taxes and when your CPA tells you how much to pay to the state and to the feds, write a check out of your owner taxes bank account. Although I hate to see the money go away, having it set aside in a special bank account dedicated to paying taxes takes the sting out of making the payment. Having the money set aside brings me great relief. Before starting the Profit First model, we would make tax payments out of our single operating expenses checking account. That's where all of our money went in and all of our money went out. It was always scary to write a big check out of there because I was never confident I knew how much money I would need for payroll, rent, or even my pay. You're probably shaking your head at me, thinking, you didn't know how much money you needed, Eric? Nope. The truth is that I always focused on running and growing the business. As long as there's money in the bank, I'm good, right? That's how most entrepreneurs think. If there's more money in the bank than expected, we'd loosen up and maybe spend a bit more. But if there was less in the bank than expected, we'd tighten up and spend less. We'd check our balances and make gut decisions. That's how we operated, and my guess is you're pretty similar. Profit First acknowledges our natural tendencies to make business decisions based on the balance of our bank account. What's great about Profit First is that it doesn't try to change our human nature. It just shifts the known expenses into different buckets for us so we can set aside the money for intended purposes. It's a great system to help you manage money in a fast and easy way that doesn't fight your natural inclinations. As time progressed, I opened accounts at different banks. One of the tenets of Profit First is you keep your profits and money needed to pay taxes in a different bank. This will intentionally make it harder for you to get your hands on the money. You should not use profits or tax money as a loan to pay for operating expenses, and keeping that money in a different bank keeps the money out of sight and out of mind. 
We did exactly that and opened accounts at another bank. Yes, it's a lot to have a dozen or more bank accounts across two to three banks. But honestly, it's not that confusing because each bank we use and each bank account we have serves a different purpose. One bank is for our daily operating funds with bank accounts for each funding need. As an example, funds deposited, employee taxes, petty cash, general operating expenses. Our second bank is for securing profits and funds needed to pay quarterly taxes. By the way, we do that with two separate bank accounts, one for profits, one for taxes. And we now have a third bank that we stood up in order to fund new business ventures. Sure, it makes the bookkeeping a bit more complicated because there are more accounts to track and more statements to reconcile. But it's a model that works well for me because I can look at the balance of any of these accounts and quickly determine how we're doing. Expenses. As prescribed by Profit First, we have many different bank accounts, each with a specific purpose. One of the accounts is called OPEX, short for operating expenses. It's used for everything except our owner's salary, taxes, and company profits. For us, our biggest expense is payroll. Beyond that, we have a slew of bills. I already mentioned that you need an accountant or a CPA. I currently have a payroll company that processes employee payroll and payroll taxes, a CPA who helps us plan for taxes and investments, and an internal bookkeeper, Katya, who reconciles the books. By reconcile, I mean that she inputs all of the receipts into QuickBooks and then compares the actual expenses to the expected expenses. She then provides financial reports and a summary to me and Kevin, my co-founder, of how we're doing money-wise. Katya is wonderful. She's been with me for years, and I trust her immensely. But she doesn't have access to the actual money. Only Kevin and I have access to the actual bank accounts. She has the ability to log in and download reports and data, but she cannot log in and spend money. I've simply heard too many horror stories of founders who have walked away from the finances of the business only to get burned by an employee or an accountant. Embezzlement comes in many forms. How do they embezzle? An extra person, say the accountant's spouse, who doesn't work for the company, can be added to payroll. I've read about that happening even with a local company I'm familiar with. As a busy business owner, you may not even pay attention to how much payroll is or if it has recently increased. Another means of embezzlement is when a check is written to a vendor who's in cahoots with the bookkeeper. They write the vendor a check from your account, you don't question it, and the payment gets split between the bookkeeper and the vendor. Think I'm paranoid? It happens more frequently than you may suspect. Yet another way is simply for the accountant, employee, or bookkeeper to buy personal items on the company credit card. The expense goes to the company, but the item goes directly to them personally. You pay, they benefit all without you knowing. I've talked openly to Kevin and Katya about this risk. 
I've also reiterated that I trust Katya and our accountants immensely. But it's in my best interest and definitely in theirs for them to have limited access to the cash. So I pay all the bills myself. Paying is easy since most bills are on auto pay through my bank or on our American Express card. When I do have to individually pay bills, it's through my bank's online bill pay system, and it literally takes me only five minutes every two to three weeks. I also review the bank and credit card statements in the mail and review each transaction myself. We're still a small enough company where I can do that myself. I'm sure at some point that will need to change somehow, but for now, I review all expenses and ask for clarity when I see something I don't expect. There's an added benefit to reviewing each expense. I have the ability to spot and cut unnecessary expenses on a regular basis. Almost without exception, I find a service or two that we pay for, but we don't leverage or need anymore. When I suspect we can cut something, I'll reach out to whoever uses that service and confirm if we still need it. Sometimes the answer is yes, but other times it's a resounding mm, kind of. In situations where we still use a service, but it's lost its novelty with us for whatever reason, I'll see if we can cut back on the service. Maybe we don't need the pro plan anymore and the basic plan will work for us. Are we really using all the features of the pro plan or can we drop down and save 10, 30, or $50 a month? If my team kind of, sort of, thinks that maybe the lower plan will work, I reduce our plan. I'd rather reduce the plan immediately if there's a question about it than continue to pay more and have lingering doubts. It doesn't matter if it's $3 a month or $300. I take whatever time I need to cut it. It can be a pain and sometimes time-consuming to discontinue a service. But even if it's not a lot of money, I still cut it. For expenses that we need that will help us service our clients better or grow our business, I will spend the money and sometimes lavishly. But wasteful spending, I cut that ruthlessly. Protect what you make. Put systems into place to ensure others don't take what's not theirs. And don't waste your money on services you don't need or use. Accounting. It's important to separate your business finances from your personal finances. As a rule, avoid intermingling your personal and business finances. Also, as a rule, you'll need to start tracking individual transactions for your business. You have to keep clean financial records for your business since there are tax and audit implications. Since you'll be handling your business and personal finances separately, you can handle your personal finances however you want. That's a personal choice. The best way to start separating your personal and business finances is by using a separate bank account for business and recording every deposit and every withdrawal from that account. This is often referred to as keeping the books or bookkeeping. When tax time arrives, you'll need to subtract your business expenses from your revenue and pay taxes on the profits. In order to do that properly, you'll need to be able to document who each expense was paid to and categorize it. 
examples, rent, software, subcontractors. You can do this manually in a spreadsheet. That is, if you like doing things the hard way. Like other business problems, there are literally hundreds of solutions available that will make your life easier. In this case, an accounting solution like QuickBooks will be your best friend. Sign up for the lowest plan that you need and get started. I recommend using their online solution instead of the program that you download to your computer. It's cheap and effective. When I was in charge of the back office for my wife's bakery, I kept the books myself. I did it all. Enter transactions, reconciled bank statements, reconciled credit card statements, dealt with chargebacks from customers, ran payroll, and paid taxes. I was able to figure out how to be an accountant on top of everything else I was doing, and I saved money by doing it myself. But I also sacrificed a lot of time and a little bit of my sanity. Although I still could keep the books myself, after that experience, I realized that I never wanted to again. You know the saying that something is the last thing you want to do or that something is on the bottom of your to-do list? Well, keeping the books wasn't even that high of a priority to me. When I was in charge of the books, I would always procrastinate until the last minute. Payroll, as an example, must be filed by a certain date and time in order for direct deposits to happen. I was pretty good about that, but not perfect. And I missed payroll once. Learn from my experience. Never, ever think it's okay to miss payroll. Your employees expect to be paid on time, every time. And if you miss it like I did, there is no excuse whatsoever. Other accounting tasks could be put off for longer. Taxes, it turns out, don't actually have to be paid by the due date. It's a good idea too, and you'll get fined if you don't. But I found out that when I missed a due date, it was generally okay to pay late if I paid all the late fees. That meant unless I was on top of my accounting game, I'd miss some tax payments, even though I had the money to make the payments. Worse for me, though, was entering in every transaction into QuickBooks. It was time-consuming, tedious, and I frankly just hated it. A close second worst is reconciliation, which is when you get a monthly statement from your bank or credit card, and you have to check that every transaction in the statement is in your books. Wanting my books to be clean and perfect, I'd find myself spending an hour or more tracking down why I might be off by just a few pennies. Having had enough of keeping my own books in the past, when I started my next business after the bakery, I swore I'd do things differently. I hired an accountant to take care of payroll, and I quickly hired Katya to run the books. I kept the ability to log into QuickBooks so I could poke around at any time, and I received financial summaries on a regular basis. But I kept some financial aspects to myself, such as receiving and depositing checks, transferring money between accounts, and having the ability to touch the money in our bank accounts. As time has gone on, I've relinquished more accounting responsibilities. Katya now receives checks from clients in a P.O. box near her house in Florida. 
She deposits them remotely using our bank's mobile app, and she initiates our twice-a-month profit-first transfers. She even has access to our credit cards with the authority to purchase as needed and to allow others to spend as needed within a reasonable amount. The last accounting function that I still retain is access to the money itself. Only Kevin, my co-founder, and I have the ability to withdraw money from the bank or to write checks. Although there's a lot of financial activity being initiated by others, I still watch the money and review bank and credit card statements every month. I still question individual transactions all the time, and I'm still ensuring that we don't spend money frivolously. When you're just starting out, be sure to start off on the right financial foot. Sign up for QuickBooks Online or a similar accounting package and keep the books yourself at first. Doing so will teach you what needs to be done and what's important, but then aim to transition those functions to a bookkeeper. Try to get out of the day-to-day world of accounting and instead oversee what's happening in your finances. It'll free up your time and your sanity while ensuring that your money is kept track of properly. Making payroll. Once you have employees, they will appreciate getting paid on a predictable basis. Miss payroll, and it's a huge problem, and it's a symptom of a much bigger problem. Most companies miss payroll either because they can't afford to pay their employees or they're just terribly unorganized. When I co-owned the bakery with my wife, she handled operations and I handled the business end of things. She worked in the bakery full-time while I continued with my day job and helped after hours and on weekends. One of my clear responsibilities was payroll, and I missed payroll once. I could make up dozens of excuses why I allowed that to happen. But the bottom line is that I was terribly unorganized at the time and didn't fully appreciate the impact it would have, not only on my employees, but on my wife. She called frantically that day and in disbelief that I hadn't processed payroll. She dropped everything, ran to the bank, and withdrew cash from our bank account to cover pay quickly. Although the employees got paid that day, it wasn't a good enough solution. I had caused irreparable damage. Unfortunately for my wife, I learned a valuable lesson that day at her expense. It was a terrible mistake, greatly hurt employee morale, and it hurt our relationship for some time. I vowed that would never happen again. When I later started my company and hired my first employee, I hired a payroll accountant. Not only did this ensure that my employees would be paid on time, but it also took care of the other responsibilities I had as an employer. Hiring a payroll accountant ensures that the proper taxes are withheld from paychecks, paid to the government on time, and all legal pay requirements are satisfied. A payroll accountant also ensures that my employees get paid on time. I'm still accountable, but the payroll accountant is responsible to make it happen. Outsourcing payroll greatly reduced the risk of my employees not getting paid on time and of payroll getting jacked up. As a positive side effect, it also freed me up from doing the research to ensure compliance with employment and tax laws 
and from the ongoing effort of processing payroll. When you're ready to hire employees, do yourself a huge favor. Hire an accountant or payroll company to process your payroll. It is money well spent. Besides being unorganized like I was at the bakery, another common reason that companies miss payroll is because they simply don't have enough cash on hand to pay their employees. In some cases, it's because of cash flow issues. Most commonly, a company is waiting for their customers to pay them so they have enough cash to cover payroll. This is an easy problem to solve by tightening up payment terms and ideally collecting payment upfront and automatically by ACH. If the problem is more severe, like the company is chronically losing money, then the fundamental issue must be addressed. To ensure we have enough cash on hand for payroll, we project the cash flow of our operating bank account, also known as OPEX, every month. We project the revenue that will flow into the account and the expenses that will flow out. For each transaction, we project the running balance that should be in the account on that day. Payroll is simply another expense. With that, we can clearly project the balance of the operating account on a day-to-day -day basis for the next month. What magical tool do we use to model our cash flow? It's actually quite sophisticated, but it's also quite obvious. It's a common spreadsheet. In our case, we use Google Sheets, but you can use Excel or whatever spreadsheet tool you prefer. We start by projecting the balance of the operating account at the beginning of the month. We then add a row for each injection of cash and for every expense, utilities, credit card payments, payroll and payroll taxes, and any others we anticipate. We also project when new revenue will flow into that bank account. With each row, the projected account balance increases or decreases depending on whether the line item is revenue or an expense. We started doing this after getting one too many emails from our bank, letting us know that we had overdrawn on our OPEX account yet again. When that happened, we would temporarily move cash from other accounts into OPEX to cover the shortfall. We got by doing that, but it would put a pinch on other things such as paying taxes on time or on building up a reserve. But when payroll is about to hit your bank account, you'd better make sure there's enough money there. We needed a way to ensure we didn't run out of money and to ensure we always had enough to pay our employees on time. The system of projecting cash flow works amazingly well, and I recommend you go through the budgeting exercise yourself. The first time Katia and I projected cash flow, it took us two hours. Frankly, we didn't fully understand what all our expenses were and the timing of those expenses. But after projecting it once, it rapidly got easier and faster. The second time we projected expenses, it took us an hour. Now, after doing it for over two years, it takes about 10 minutes. One more thing to consider, employee withholdings. If an employee makes, say, $100,000 a year, then they won't actually take home $100,000. They'll take home less because you'll withhold taxes and other items such as their portion of health insurance premium. 
you'll hold on to those withholdings and then will later have to pay those withholdings to the health insurance company or pay those taxes to the government. You're just holding on to those funds temporarily. Don't forget about them when you project cash flow. That's a common mistake that new entrepreneurs make. They cover payroll, but then fail to have enough money to cover the withholdings that have to get paid to the government and other benefit providers. Ensure you have enough for it all. Pay frequency. We started projecting our cash flow because of an anomaly in our finances that we picked up on. But it took a year or two to see the pattern and understand why the anomaly was happening. Bear with me as I go into the finer details of the financial anomaly. It just might save you from the same trouble I had. Every few months, we'd have what appeared to be a really bad month. Nothing significant had happened to decrease our revenue, but our profitability for the month would drop or go negative. It was frustrating and it didn't make sense until we figured out it had to do with payroll. You will pay your employees on a frequency that you decide. The most common frequencies are weekly, every other week, or twice a month. At one of my first jobs, I was paid twice a month, on the 1st and the 15th. Because each month has a different number of days, one of the paychecks I received would be for the same amount every month. But the other would be for more or less depending on how many days there were at the tail end of the previous month. As the employee receiving the pay, I realized that one of my checks would be slightly bigger than the other, but I wasn't able to predict by how much. When it was time for me to pick the pay frequency for my employees, I knew I didn't want a variable model like I had previously experienced. So I went with paying employees every other week. That provided a consistent stream of income to our employees, made pay periods consistent, and was a frequency I was familiar with. But that turned into the cash flow problem we discovered in the operating bank account. With 52 weeks in a year, paying every other week will result in 26 paydays per year. That results in getting two paychecks per month for 10 out of 12 months, and getting a third paycheck for two out of 12 months. That third paycheck, although it's quite obvious to see in retrospect, was giving our cash flow convulsions. Although we were operating business as usual, the wages we paid during those two months were 50% higher than in other months. When looking at profit and loss over a calendar month, those increased wages destroyed our profits for the month. Once we realized this was happening, which took much longer than you would suspect, we started to track the cash flow of the operating account, modeling every expected expense and deposit. If we were going to have variable months, then I wanted to know about it before payday. We could not risk running out of money on payday. Every other financial transaction we had whether it was invoicing or paying bills, was on a monthly frequency. Having this one expense being variable and dependent on the month of the year was a real problem. If we lost money one month, was it because of the third payroll or because of other reasons? 
It was easy to see when the third payroll hit our account, but it wasn't as easy to exclude that from the profit and loss statements to analyze how we did otherwise. Since accounting is done on a monthly, quarterly, and annual basis, only some of those reports would work for us. The monthly reports were almost worthless. They showed us we had terrible months for two months of the year, but financial reports were also incorrectly positive for the other 10 months of the year because the actual payroll expense for the month was artificially low since some payroll for that month was paid in the other two months when we experienced a third payday. Even the quarterly reports were messy because two quarters had an extra payroll and two quarters did not. That meant that only the annual accounting reports were accurate. Once the problem was discovered, I instantly knew we had to fix it. One way to fix it was to change our reporting periods from the monthly, quarterly, and annual reports to periods of time that correlated with pay periods. One business owner I know accounts for this anomaly by running, quote, monthly reports, end quote, that span two, two-week pay periods. So his reporting runs in 28-day cycles, but those cycles do not correlate with a calendar month. That means that his monthly reports will often span different months and quarters. There's no asking for the January report, as an example. You'd have to ask for January 6th through February 3rd. By the way, leap years will ensure that the dates of these so-called payroll months don't line up consistently year after year. That's just too complicated. As modern humans, we naturally group time into months, quarters, and years. I didn't want to invent some other measure of time just because we pay our employees every other week. It seemed like paying twice a month would help. In my experience at a previous job, the second paycheck per month would be a variable amount. Although that minimized the variability that I was currently experiencing with the third paycheck per month, it didn't entirely remove that variability. It was close, but not exactly the solution I sought. Why did this need to be so complicated? Then I thought, what if we paid twice a month regardless of the number of days per month? That would result in 24 paydays per year, and each pay would be for the same amount. So if someone makes $100,000 a year, then their pay would be $100,000 divided by 24 equals $4,166.67 before taxes each payday. That solution was effective, but would it work for employees? The downside for the company doing this was that during short months, say February, the employee would take home more than they technically earned. Although that would probably seem like a win to employees, in my mind, it was a negative. But it was also countered by the fact that in longer months, they take home a little less than they earned. We let the employees know of the problem and asked if they'd suffer a hardship by getting paid more frequently and by not having the surprise third payday a month. The reality is that the third payday came close to the end of the month every time, and employees barely recognized what was happening. It just wasn't an issue for them. 
but it was for the company. The calendar is complicated, but payroll shouldn't be. In the end, we decided to proceed with paying everyone 1 24th of their annual pay twice a month. Transitioning required careful coordination with employees and with our payroll accountants. We planned for it many weeks in advance and postponed the rollout when we projected an issue. Everyone was well aware of the plan, and when the appointed payday came to cut over, it went flawlessly. Ever since that transition to paying twice a month, where each pay is 1 24th of annual pay, everything has worked out great. Our books instantly snapped too, and we could much better project cash flow. Finally, we had a pay frequency that worked just as well for the company as it did for the employees. If you haven't yet selected a pay frequency, I strongly recommend twice per month and in equal amounts. If you already have a pay frequency in place and want to solve your reporting problems, then you now have a way forward. But if you don't want to or can't change your frequency, then you'd better come up with a reporting mechanism besides calendar months. So it's clear to you exactly how the business is running regardless of pay frequencies. Credit cards. Credit cards are great because when you buy something, you don't have to part with your cash for at least another month when the next monthly payment is due. Delaying your cash payments helps with cash flow because your cash stays in your bank account for longer than if you parted with your cash at the time of the purchase. But using a credit card is also a risk. If you don't pay off your credit card each month and carry a balance, then you will pay a lot in interest. You'll also run the risk of not paying on time each month and being hit with late fees. If you're running a service-based business like mine, then hopefully your expenses will start off low and you won't need to spend much money. But if you're opening a retail spot, you'll be spending plenty. And in that case, you'll probably want a proper business loan rather than rely on credit cards and their high fees if you need to carry a balance. When I opened my business, I used a debit card for everything. When I spent money, it came directly out of my business checking account. It was a simple arrangement and ensured I never got myself into financial trouble because I could only spend what I had in the bank. I kept that system for many years and only recently switched to using an American Express card to earn travel points. In my business, there's a fair amount of pass-through revenue, money we collect from our clients to buy ads online. That money gets deposited into our bank account and then spent on ads in places like Google and Facebook. We paid those ads with a debit card as well. When I realized I could earn travel points if I bought those ads with an American Express card instead of our debit card, I was still hesitant to switch. There's a comfort in knowing that you can never overspend when using a debit card. But once I came to grips with the fact that I could earn tens of thousands of points or more a month, simply by changing my payment method, we switched to paying with an American Express. Plus, if I wanted to, I could pay the American Express balance off frequently, even daily if I really wanted to. So I couldn't get myself into financial trouble. I don't travel a lot, but when I do, I'd prefer to not have to pay for it. 
When I use the American Express to pay for online ads, I end up getting points even though the money is literally just passing through my books. Doing so results in hundreds of thousands of travel points generated every year. The amount of points will increase as our business and pass-through funds also grows. Another perk of the American Express card is that we can pick a spending category that gives us three times the points. The category we picked was advertising, which amplifies the effect of getting points for pass-through dollars even more. That means that if we buy $100,000 of advertising online in a month, then we earn 300,000 points that month. That adds up fast. With all those American Express points adding up, I can now travel for free. Not only is that pretty cool, but it gives you a competitive advantage. How so? Imagine if you wanted to go to a conference or wanted to meet a prospect who was out of town. If you had to pay for the airfare and hotel, it could cost you thousands of dollars each time. That's enough money for you to second guess if you should travel. But if you can travel for free, then all you're sacrificing is your time away from home. Without the financial burden of travel, you'll be more likely to travel and more likely to benefit from situations that others without travel points would let pass up. So travel points can be great, especially if you have pass-through income. If the money is flowing through your books, then you might as well get something out of it. Here's the important part, though. Credit cards are great for cash flow and for the perks, but don't carry a balance. Just like your personal finances, be smart with your business finances. If you carry a balance, you will pay a hefty fee. Yes, I've done it a few times when cash was tight, but I hated it and worked hard to pay it down. If you find yourself in a situation where you can't pay the whole bill off each month, then come up with a plan on how you'll pay it off over a set number of months. I recommend that you hold off on getting a business credit card until your business is stable. Use debit cards until then. It just makes things easier. And in the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, you will have other worries besides maximizing the travel points you can earn. Simplify everything you can at first and defer complexity for later. Chapter takeaways. And we have quite a few here. Number one, raising capital takes your focus away from your business. Consider refocusing exclusively on validating your idea by finding people who will buy what you're selling. Number two, if you're not sure what you would do if you raise capital, then skip that step altogether and focus on growing your business. Number three, although business license taxes are based on your top line revenue, most other business taxes are based on your profit. Number four, one strategy to lowering your taxes is to reinvest your profits back into your business. You can hire more employees, buy advertising, and use those funds before the end of the year which will increase your expenses, lower your profits, and lower your tax bill. But don't be wasteful. Only do this for legit business investments. 
Number five, look into Profit First, a book and system for organizing your money into different categories. This simple system helps you know when you need to lower your expenses in order to maintain other important parts of your finances, like paying yourself, paying taxes, and ensuring you make a profit. Number six, keep a close eye on your expenses. Personally review every transaction on your credit card and bank statements. Do this every month. Number seven, question whether you really need a service. If you can lower or cut the service and thus the expense, do it. Number eight, make sure you always pay employees on time. Miss payroll and employees will have legitimate reasons to question your financial stability and whether yours is the right business for them to be in. Number nine, missing payroll is often caused by lack of funds on payday. Reduce your client's payment terms as much as possible. Instead of offering net 30, offer net seven. Ideally, don't even offer net terms and instead bill them at the beginning of each month using ACH or their credit card. Number 10, don't ever borrow from employee withholdings. Put the employee tax payments that you withhold from their paycheck into a separate bank account. That's not your money to borrow. Consider that the government's money. Number 11, consider paying your employees twice a month in equal payments of 1 24th of their annual salary. Paying on other frequencies, such as every other week, will skew your monthly financial reports to the point where you may not know exactly how much profit or loss you really made. Number 12, don't intermingle personal and business funds. All business funds, both revenue and expenses, should flow through your business bank account. Number 13, when you start your company, use a debit card for expenses. It'll be harder to get yourself into financial trouble if you can only spend what's in your bank account. And finally, number 14, with time, consider putting expenses on a credit card. Not only do you defer paying for items you buy, you can earn travel points or enjoy other benefits by purchasing with a credit card. But beware, always pay off your credit card on time. Otherwise, late fees and interest can get expensive. Are you a business owner looking to reach more customers and grow? Array Digital is a world-class digital marketing agency that partners with companies just like yours. We've worked with top brands throughout the country and love helping businesses generate more revenue, employ more people, and serve more customers. Reach out to find out more about our award-winning website design, SEO, advertising, and social media. You can find us online at thisisarray.com or call us at 757-333-3021.